Stone. I'm Peter. And I'm Felice. Welcome to our travel podcast. We're specialist travel writers and we've spent half a lifetime exploring every corner of the world. So we want to share with you some of our extraordinary experiences and the amazing people we've met along the way. This week we're going underground to explore a network of mysterious tunnels hidden beneath the ancient Somerset town of Froome. This happens to be where Felice and I now live. It lies 20 minutes south of Bath and it's got a long history dating back to Anglo-Saxon times in the 7th century. In the Middle Ages, in the 13th and 14th century and right up to the early 20th century, the town was internationally renowned for its blue dyed woolen cloth made from woad and its iron foundries. In fact, you can see some good examples of things created here in Froome. There's King Alfred's statue in Winchester. Yes, there's Justice, the scales on top of the Old Bailey in London, Central Criminal Court. And these were all manufactured in Froome a long time ago. So when you're going about your daily business, whether it's going shopping, going to the doctor, taking children to their schools, I wonder if you've ever thought about what lies beneath your feet, under the pavement, under the road. And the history appears a bit like layers in a cake. Yeah, towns and cities are built on, well, earlier towns and cities. So they stack up over the years. Excavations for underground railways or some new sewage system or perhaps the footings for an office block or even a skyscraper will occasionally reveal a a plague pit or the mosaics of a Roman villa. Mostly this secret subterranean world remains inaccessible, but not always, not always anyway, certainly in Froome. Stories about a a network of tunnels that run beneath the ancient town are legion, passed down from generation to generation. Some are said to be old waterways, others stem from the Industrial Revolution, and then there are escape tunnels linking Froome with outlying villages or stately homes like Longleat, the ancestral home of the Marquesses of Bath, famous for the introduction in 1966 of lions and later tigers that have roamed its parkland ever since. Well, let's just hope the cats don't know about the tunnels. Quite a few of the tunnels have been blocked for decades or even centuries. Twenty years ago, Froome resident Robin Rowland Hill started collecting these stories and with a group of friends he began digging and exploring at weekends. And now, during the annual Froome Festival, which is an arts festival, the tunnellers open up part of the network to visitors, equipped with safety helmets, torches, wellies and waterproof gloves. We met up for a preview of this with Robin's fellow tunneller, Gary Kearley, and prepared ourselves to enter the actual tunnel network beneath the River Froome. Looking around the group, People wearing all sorts of different things, but mainly old clothes, waterproof clothes. Most people had Wellington boots, like us, but a couple were wearing trainers and one man was in cowboy boots. I'd brought along some woolly gloves, but I quickly discarded those because I was offered some gardening gloves and other people had washing up gloves and all sorts of surgical gloves, basically waterproof gloves. And I wondered why that was. Oh, no, I can tell you that. Rat urine. There's lots of rat weed down there, and we're told that you certainly don't want any of that getting into a scratch or on any broken skin. You, you can really get very ill with, I think it's Wells disease you get from that. And I certainly hope we don't see any rats because I don't like them very much. So Gary told us what to do. best way of going is to actually hold the rope and walk backwards. If you try and walk forwards, you'll probably end up in the river. Um, I'm going to go down and get myself ready. Uh, so if you'd like to make your way down. So now we're going down towards the river. 
Oh, it's quite steep. The road with knots in it. Nearly done. Right, well, here we are alongside the River Froom, from which the town obviously takes its name. Apologise to the historians amongst us for all the facts I get wrong. The, the town takes its name from the river, but back in the day when it was named, this was very much wider, very much shallower. The town, as most of you will know, was established in about 685 by St Oldham, who built a, uh, a monastery, a, a sort of evangelical church here, up on the hill, roughly where the church is today. And as it always happens, you have a, a, a monastery and the town grows up around it. The town rapidly expanded. Now, back in those days, the only way to get across the river there was a ford, roughly where we are here now. Um, but as the town grew and grew, that proved impractical. And we're told in about 1300 they built a nice wooden bridge across, but that was washed away in the floods. And it wasn't until the 1400s that we had our first proper stone bridge. The bridge was needed because the town had expanded so much that to get some more building land, they built up the banks on either side of the river. And of course, having built the banks up, you then can't get down to a ford. So they put a nice bridge across. Back then, most of the, the town was up on the high land because it's all flooded. The bridge, as you can see, is fairly unique. We're told there are only four bridges in the whole of England that have houses across the entire length. Originally, the water flowed through one, two, three, four channels. But as the 1960s work was done to try and alleviate the flooding, so the river was, was channeled and deepened, which is why it is as it, you see it today. What we're going to do is wind our way through the various uh, arches and then go right underneath and see some of the historical stuff that's buried beneath our bridge. So if you'd like to follow me, the footing can be a bit... I'll leave it there. Right, so now we're going underneath the first arch of the bridge. I had no idea there was a bridge here at all. Oh, it's quite spooky in here. You're fortunate it's dried up. This was all underwater when we came down earlier in the week. So we're now under Froome Town Bridge, which is a bit of a misnomer because it's not a town bridge. There were several. And this was built in 1451. So you think Knights in Armour, War of the Roses, that sort of thing, to put it into historical uh, you know, into, into context. As the town grew, this, this was sufficient for, the, for the, the trade, but the town grew on the back of the cloth industry and it was realised that this bridge wasn't actually wide enough to take two wagons to pass each other. So in 1667, so in the days when we still had the American colonies, they built an extension. We have documentary evidence for that fact. As they expanded this bridge, they obviously realised that they, they needed to make more of a statement. They needed people arriving in Froom to know they'd come somewhere special. So in 1797, so about the time of the French Revolution, people having their heads cut off in France, they built North Parade, which is the road that now runs straight up past the museum up to the top of the hill. And everybody was happy for a while. I feel sorry for the people who come in trainers. Here we have otter footprints in the mud, and uh, they come down here to uh, to uh, to drink, and then they cover up their tracks afterwards. The roof's quite low here, so to bend down a bit to get out. It's sunlight at the end. And now we're now we're actually stepping into the river. Well, the edge of the river. Where we or you are going to go next is through here. I can just shine a light. So when you go through, you walk through and go sideways like this. 
Uh, what it means then is if you hit something, an obstruction on the ceiling, you go that way rather than go over and on your back. And when you get through to the other end of here, there's a set of metal grills. Metal, it looks like a prison cell. Yeah. Um, and that was put up some, some years ago by the police. They were chasing somebody through the middle of town and he disappeared. They had no idea where this, this chap had gone. And one of the PCSOs said, well, I've been on the Froome Tunnels tour. I bet he's under the bridge. So they found a ladder, came down. I'll show you later where they found him hiding. And they thought, we can't have people doing this. So they put metal bars up to stop anyone else going under there. So, I mean, you're here to do a tunnel. So I'm yeah. sure you all want to go through there. Colin will go first. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go around the other way to meet you because I've been okay. through there so many times. Okay. And then I can organise you at the other end. So... Okay, well now I'm going underneath here. Quite difficult. Yeah, I'm going sideways, yeah. Okay, stepping sideways through the tunnel. Water's quite deep. I feel like I'm in a salt mine or something. Quite uh, claustrophobic and quite dark. Fortunately, other people are shining torches. Glad I got the helmet on. My nose almost in the water. There's someone shining a torch in my direction now, which helps. And then we come at the end, there's a, a grill across the tunnel. Put a couple of yards in there. There's a bone there, Some, somebody didn't make it. But mind your head on this one as you go through. In a minute you can sort of stand up a bit. Yeah. So we're now well underneath uh, the town. Where I'm sat, is the original medieval road that came down from the top of town and down to the ford that I was talking about earlier. It's not very wide as you can see. The reason it's not very wide is they've used half of the roadway to build the bridge. There's a lot of water and that's coming out of these two tubes. The one on the right goes up underneath the Westway shopping centre and that takes all the spring water and the rainwater from the top end of town. The one on the left and up round the corner is where they found the, our runaway villain, Hoyden. He was suffering from hypothermia, he'd been down here four hours apparently. In fact, not so long ago we had somebody else come down here who didn't get away because he got through a manhole in the middle of the street outside Boots of Chemist and was obviously then confronted with, uh, with these. He also made it out, so we think he must have gone up one of those two. But the one on the left that takes all the water that flows down the middle of Cheap Street. Uh, so often when we come down here we find toys and shoes and things that people have dropped in and, and have floated their way down. This is what we, we term to be a, a tunnel which is actually effectively a waterway. Peter, you can stand up now. Oh yeah, no, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> it's very slippery though. Yeah, I can see that. Coming so, up. Well, I'm back into the sunlight. So what do you think so far, Fizz? I didn't like the very low bit. I mean, so low, I could almost couldn't bend low enough. Yeah, it's quite, uh, quite claustrophobic, eh? You understand why I don't want to go potholing. 
I agree. It's like um, the river sticks under there. <laughs> I'm going to take you back up the, uh, the slope. So this was a, effectively a water tunnel. You're now going to go and look at an industrial one. And so on we went. This time we walked to a tunnel discovered beneath the lawn of a rather pretty riverside garden just beside the bridge. Well, it's more like a flue than a tunnel, and it was hidden. So when we arrived, there are big wooden covers. I thought it must be something like a well underneath. Yeah, they took this off, uh, and you could see quite a well-preserved tunnel with sort of sit marks on it, it looked like anyway. In its cloth-dying heyday, hot air from furnaces powered by local coal from Radstock, which is a mining area down the road, fed drying tyres scattered all across the town and appeared that this was one of these ducts that led towards the dying tower long since removed. Our guide said that we could go down and crawl through the tunnel if we wanted to, but when I looked and I saw that it was the size of a medium dog in height, I decided not to do it. Um, one very brave man did go down there and all we could see were his feet poking out. And the other problem is that there's no room to turn round, so if you then want to come out again, you have to reverse, which is pretty difficult in the dark and you don't know where you're going. Yeah, back in the day, it seemed that Froome was a pretty smelly place. Residents had purple skin from the woad that was grown locally, and they ponged so badly from the urine used in the dying process that Queen Elizabeth I decreed that no frumi was allowed within a mile of Her Majesty. Certainly it sounds like it smelt really horrible, and the owners made lots of money out of it, and woolen cloth was sold for soldiers' uniforms all over the world, and that included Napoleon's army, Americans during the Civil War, and the Russians in the 19th century. So, water tunnels, industrial tunnels, and also escape tunnels. Now, these were for hiding Catholic priests in Tudor times, fugitives in the Civil War, and then, of course, the Bonmouth Rebellion in 1685, which was also known as the Pitchfork Rebellion, because it involved so many farm labourers. Now, this was a West Country Protestant attempt to overthrow Catholic King James II, who succeeded Charles II, and it was led by Charles's illegitimate son, the Duke of Monmouth, and from the outset it was doomed to failure. Monmouth was caught and executed after the Battle of Sedgemoor, and some of his supporters were sentenced to death at the so-called Bloody Assizes, led by the notorious hanging Judge Jeffreys. Twelve of these men were hung, drawn and quartered in Froome itself, and there are even tunnels that were upgraded in World War II for the safety of Field Marshal Lord Montgomery, who, surprisingly, when not in North Africa or Sicily, seems to spend an awful lot of time in Froome in the months leading up to D-Day. But there's only so many tunnels you can see in a single visit. I think it's time for our group to retire to the pub. Froome's pretty big on pubs. In 1956, it had 56 of them. Well, there's a lot less today, but there's some good ones. One in particular, the Lamb and Fountain, is so old that it's even got a sarsen stone, as in Stonehenge, embedded in the roadway outside. Well, I don't think the pub goes back to kind of those sort of days, but it's certainly been around for a good six or seven hundred years at least. And we went down to the cellar and looked at the original building, parts of the original building that remain, and it's really quite spectacular. But pubs are about beer, and we soon armed ourselves with a pint or two, and I have to say, it got pretty noisy in there, so forgive the uh, sound quality. No adventure like exploring the Froome Tunnels is complete without a ghost story or two, and there are plenty of those. Interestingly, as soon as Robin and his team started excavating the various tunnels all over Froome, and there are so many of them, there was a sudden 
spate of poltergeist activity, well, that's what it appeared to be, in particularly in various pubs around the town. In, in one of them, a woman walked up to the bar, ordered a drink, the barman poured the drink, the glass then shattered and flew, flew across the room. She didn't say anything, apparently. She just turned on a heel and walked straight out. Then there was the mysterious story of the man who never was. It was like a rainy midweek night. There was hardly anybody in. And this scruffy guy came in, came to the bar and said, uh, I'd like a Newcastle Brown. So he said, OK, right. So he went to the fridge, got the Newcastle Brown, got a glass, went to the bar. The guy wasn't there. So we thought, oh, he's gone to the gents. Didn't turn up after five minutes, so I thought, oh, doing something naughty in the gents, because they're probably dog-taking and stuff. Checked the gents, not in there. Went to the ladies, not in there. Four or five people who were in the bar. To see the scruffy guy, where did he go? Hadn't seen anybody. So he poured the drink away and said it really annoyed him. So he went up to the office, replayed the tape, and he said, there's a video of me talking to thin air. And he said, I was a meter away from this guy. And they've had the opposite, haven't they? They've they locked up at night, gone up to the office, looked at the CCTV and realised there was somebody still drinking downstairs in the bar. Oh they've gone downstairs and no one left. This very well-spoken lady rang up and she said, you must stop investigating the tunnels and doing any digging. And I said, uh, why? She said, because there's a triangle of tunnels from through to Clay Hill, to Longmeat, and back again. And in the middle of that triangle is a chamber with the devil's golden horn. And if you disturb it, the devil will return. So, Robin, you started all this. Yeah. How did that come about? Uh, it came about because we'd just uh, moved house into the house you lived in until very recently, Walden's, 20 years ago. And um, I was restoring the cellar, and uh, my pick hammer went through the what I thought was plaster. It turned out to be a hole, and, uh, and a waft of air came through when I took the hammer out of the wall. So that's not supposed to happen in cellars, so I realised it was something on the other side. And that's when I thought, this is probably a fringe tunnel, but I'd heard the rumours, but um, so started trying to find out, and people said, oh, that's all rubbish, or other people said, oh, yes, I've been in those, used to play in them when I was a boy. Went to the museum, and they had nothing, so... Yes. So you got the tunnelling bug from that? Absolutely. Well, the story's fascinating, isn't it? So Absolutely we fascinating. together as a group of friends. So you started literally digging around. How many miles of tunnels are there, do you think? You don't know how many, but how many thick there are? Well, there are three big ones that we have first-hand accounts for um, that stretch from the edge of Froome to outlying villages. So they're all two, three, four miles long. Now, because they've all come from first-hand accounts and all the different tunnels in town, we think they were started building them during the Reformation and the Civil War, modern surveillance and so on. That's insurance policies. But nobody builds a tunnel from the edge of a town to an outlying village a few miles away as a drain or for fun. And the, the last point I'd make is that also all these accounts have come from first-hand, as I say, um, first-hand accounts from um, people of a later generation. Now, they can't all be making it up, surely. <laughs> they all got together when they left school and said, I know what, let's all tell everybody about tunnels that don't exist. I don't believe it. You know, some of them are going to be a bit exaggerated, of course, but uh, no, there's, there's definitely something. Like the big ones is the ones we want to get into. And obviously they divide into different brackets. There's industrial tunnels 
and others. Yeah, definitely. So three different types really. So drains and waterways, of course, because we have a porous rock here. So you, you build a town, you have to have decent drains. And in the old days, digging a drain means you have to have a man-sized hole. Secondly, industrial, uh, for waterworks and other such things, and flues and what have you, as you've seen today. Uh, but the interesting ones are the clandestine escape tunnels, whether they're from you know, a house to the churchyard or from the one town to another settlement. And the stately homes around here, like, like Longleat, that has one? That has three, actually. <laughs> okay. And then, and then during World War II, there was something connected with Montgomery? Yes, um, we've got, obviously got some evidence of Montgomery being here for a couple of years, but also first time accounts again of some sort of restored tunnels, not quite the right way to describe them. They, the walls have been rendered. There's even a photograph floating about um, from the uh, 50s where they found a, a dissolving World War II car in one of these tunnels. And, and this was to provide a, a safe place, a, a bomb shelter? I think more likely that it was to move Montgomery quickly from the Broadway Hotel where he was stationed for a couple of years to a safer location. Well, Robin, it's been absolutely fascinating and we wish you the very best of luck with your future digging all the way beneath room. You're very welcome. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you want to know more about the Froome Tunnel Tour, visit froomefestival.co.uk. That's Froome F-R-O-M-E with one O. That's all for now. If you've enjoyed the show, please visit our website, actionpacktravel.com, or you can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or any of the many podcast platforms. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love you to sign up for our regular emails too at peter at actionpacktravel.com. Until next week, stay safe. Just a crazy storm